Well, good morning, church. Happy spring break to you guys. Um, A lot of our folks traveling today and some this week, but you're the lucky ones that get to be here, right? Uh, So glad you're here. Those of you traveling, watching online, uh, check in. Let us know where you are at the beach or wherever you are so we can get mad at you. Um, No, we're really glad. I'm glad you guys are here. Thank you for being here. Um, An exciting um, journey we've just begun. Last week started a new series we're calling True and Better. Uh, You're probably getting used to seeing that video a little bit. Our aim through this study is uh, that the Lord would open our eyes. And open our hearts to behold Christ on every page of the Bible. And we're not going to do every page because we don't have time for that. But uh, over the next couple of months, we're going to walk through story after story after story in Scripture. And we're going to see Christ. That's the goal. So uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, we talked about this last week. He walked the seven mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. He spent that time with two disciples that just could not understand why Jesus had to die. Jesus kept himself concealed to their eyes, but the whole time he spent revealing himself himself through the writings of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, all the scriptures. And what he told them is that their foolish hearts had not believed all that the prophets had spoken. Then he opened their hearts to see that all scripture, and if you're taking notes right here, all scripture is telling one great story of one great savior. So today what I want to do is begin really in the beginning. Uh, Like literally, I want you to take your Bible and turn to page one. (laughs) The very first page in your Bible, Genesis chapter one. We're going to look at Genesis 1 and 2, and what we'll see is that it gives us a glimpse of the wonder of creation and the heart of our Creator. For the longest time, uh, I thought these chapters um, held the key to answering all my questions about evolution or how old is the earth or where did man come from or what happened to all the dinosaurs? And I always thought, you know, this, these couple of chapters, this is where I need to start digging if I want to get all the answers to those questions. But Genesis isn't written mainly to explain how it all began, but to tell us about who started it all. I do believe that we find some answers to those questions, but it's always important to recognize the intent of the author When you're bringing your questions to the scriptures. So having said that, here's a pop quiz for you. You ready? Who authored the book of Genesis? All right. All right. Good job. Now, I didn't tell you. It's a trick question. (laughs) I didn't tell you. Uh, Who authored the book of Genesis? Okay. Now we're on track. So Moses wrote it. But here's the big question, like who could have known? Who could have known about the state of the uncreated world? Who could have known about the six days of creation and how all that unfolded? Who who could have known about this God who speaks and things just come to be? Who could have known? Well, only God himself could know these details. And so the Bible begins with really an accentuated version of the same type of writing we see through the rest of Scripture. God is the author, 
And he has selected someone to write his words. That's the way the whole Bible is written. This is what is meant when Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16 to say all scripture is God breathed or inspired by God. It means he is authoring and men are writing. So we we take note as we open the, the very first book, the very first words of the Bible. We take note that God himself is telling the story in the way he wants it told. Now, that's pretty important because he's giving us all we really need. As we read the book of Genesis, I want to encourage you. We're not going to read the whole book together, but I want to encourage you. Don't major on the minors. Remember, all the Bible is telling us who God is. All right, we're about to jump in with both feet. I hope uh, that we grow in our knowledge of Scripture and we see Christ in all the Scripture. I feel a little bit like, um, I don't know why, I just got this excitement this morning. I feel a bit like Tom Brady. I just want to be like, let's go! You know, I don't know. So I'm pumped. I hope you're as excited as I am. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's read from the book of Genesis. Can y'all believe Tom Brady's coming out of retirement? Isn't that wild? This guy inspires me. That old dude can do a lot, right, in the NFL. He's impressive. Um, Tom Brady. I hope he comes to know Jesus. Let's read the word of the Lord together. I want to read just some, some sections of the book of Genesis. We're going to read uh, a little bit of chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. I'll, I'll tell you where to go to follow along. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning the first day. Would you skip down to day six with me? That'll be in verse 26. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. Skip ahead to verse 15 of chapter 2. Now, chapter 2 is giving us more detail of the created, uh, the creation event as it unfolded. And so in, in verse 15 and following, we get some of the details about God creating Eve for Adam and marriage and all of those things. So I want to read a little bit of this together. Verse 15 to the end of the chapter. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept... God took one of his ribs and closed up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. God of creation, Lord of heaven and earth, you spoke our world into existence. All that we know you have given, all that we see you have created. You literally own it all. You are eternal. You are powerful. You are Always good. And on these pages, we see your character in all that you have made. Help us, Lord, today to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our creator and redeemer. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So there are some things that once you see them, you can't unsee them. You know what I'm talking about? Um, It's kind of like when a movie you're watching comes to its conclusion and at the very end of the movie there's some ridiculous plot twist that changes the whole meaning of the whole movie. Anybody relate to what I'm saying? Does anybody remember the, uh, the Bruce Willis movie The Sixth Sense? Now if you haven't seen it, this is not a recommendation. But also, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, I'm fixing to tell you how it ends. <laughs> okay, so I um, hate to ruin it for you. 
But the whole movie, Bruce Willis is interacting with all these people. And there's this little boy. If you haven't seen the movie, there's a little boy with a famous quote where he says, I see dead people. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. So apparently that's what happened. He was able to see dead people. And Bruce Willis was trying to help him through the whole movie. And this is how things unfolded. And in the last five minutes of the movie, you discover Bruce Willis's character has been dead the whole time. And all of a sudden, like you're replaying all the things in your mind, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, that means he wasn't really talking to his wife. She was just talking and he was there as a ghost or something. What in the world? And so the thing is, you go back and maybe after you, you've seen the ending, after you watch it, maybe you watch it again the second time. You can't help but think about the end all the way through the story. It's like every scene is now seen in light of its ending. And so it is with the Bible. We know the ending, right? And in the end, the Lord Jesus is coming in glory. And he's bringing a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be a glorious new creation. So even as we read the story of the original creation, we read it and see it in light of the story of its final redemption. By redemption, what I mean is God's work to save and sanctify a people for himself. Now, we know the climax of this story. We We talk about the cross and sing about the empty grave all the time. This would be the climax of the story. And we know that we are awaiting the coming Christ. Like this is where we are in the storyline. We look back to the cross. We look forward to his return. That's where we fit in the story. But all of the story is on the backdrop of redemption. So catch this for a minute. This is a big truth as we're going to study through the rest of the scripture. You need to know this. Redemption was not a backup plan. It was not plan B. Could you even imagine the all knowing God creating this beautiful utopia that we've read about in Genesis one and two? And then all of a sudden in chapter three, the serpent comes in and it's like sneaky. He's like, hey. Did God really say that? You know what? If you just eat this fruit, (laughs) you'll be like him. And then they eat and God's like, oh, no, what happened? What am I going to do now? Now, this is that's ridiculous, isn't it? The all knowing God who speaks creation with a word and everything's created. That God would be surprised by one of his creation. He would be shocked and all of a sudden his whole plan is foiled. Not a chance. So when God creates, we have to know that redemption was plan A. The plan of redemption was the plan and creation is part of that story. God created the world having already arranged to redeem it. And the scripture teaches this truth. I want you to see what the Bible says about God's plan to redeem. In Matthew 25, verse 34, it says that the kingdom that believers will inherit. Listen to these words. That kingdom that we will inherit was prepared when? 
before the foundation of the world. Listen to that phrase. It's repeated in the New Testament. Before the foundation of the world. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, in Peter's very first sermon at Pentecost, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You hear that phrase? According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God has raised him up. And what we see here is this was the plan all along. The plan for Christ to suffer and die and raise from the dead was always the plan. Before God said, let there be light. They made the plan that he would die. First Peter chapter one, verse 20 says that we have been ransomed with the blood of Christ who was foreknown from before the foundation of the world. The blood of Christ, the plan was to ransom a people by the blood of Christ before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 1 verse 4, it gets really personal. God says, the scripture says that God chose us. So even the people... That God is working to redeem. He chose when? Before the foundation of the world. That ought to floor you. If you're a believer in the room. If you're a Christian born again. God chose you before he even said let there be light. The plan of redemption. Was plan A. Before God created Before the foundation of the world, the plan of redemption had already been written. So with that in mind, let's dig into the main course in uh, the creation story. There's so much to see about our creator, about our redeemer. I want us just to focus on really three big truths about him. And I hope that we see Christ in creation. First big truth. God rules over everything. I love what Bart was sharing with us. God rules over everything. The basic idea of creation implies power, authority, and ownership. And God is not lacking in any of those things. Whatever God makes, He owns. Whatever He owns... He commands. Is there anything God has not made? Is there anything God does not own? So God rules over everything. Now, what kind of a ruler do we have in God? Here's some things we know about him. He is powerful. He is powerful. The first four words of the Bible. The fifth word added in the beginning, God created. He created that word means out of nothing with nothing. He had nothing. There was nothing. He spoke and all of a sudden all of that happened. Creation just was. The word for this is ex nihilio. It just means out of nothing. 
Do you know that you cannot create? And I cannot create. We might could, you might could take clay and make a pot. I would make a lump. That's all that I would be able to make, right? But you can take something and make something else. But you can't take nothing and make something. Only the all-powerful can do that. It's incredible power. God spoke and it came to be. The Word of God has intrinsic power. The Word of God. I want us to see as we read, there's a, there's a pattern uh, in Genesis. It's really a poem. Chapter 1 is really a poem. It's written poetically. There's a, a pattern. God speaks. It is. And God reacts to His creation. It is good. And it was evening and morning that day. God speaks. It is. God reacts evening and morning that day. It's this pattern over and over. But it all starts with the spoken, powerful, creative word of God. He's powerful. He is wise. When we look at creation, everything God made, he made it with incredible precision and order and purpose. God created in just moments the kind of details that scientists have spent centuries trying to dig into. And they'll never quite figure it out. I mean, just consider for a moment the intricacies of your body. We still don't know how that thing works. (laughs) And God just spoke. And it was. He is infinitely wise. He is good. As God sees his handiwork, he reflects on his creation and he remarks, it is good. Truthfully, anybody can see that, right? Those of you watching that are at the beach, that's one of my favorite places to go. I love to go stand at the water's edge. I can remember standing there holding my daughter's hands and and just asking them, girls, do you know who told this water where to stop? Our God. Watch it. Here comes the wave. He told it. That's far enough. This creation is good. It's beautiful. It's glorious. And it declares the goodness of our God in all of creation. All we see in the goodness of creation is the goodness of his character. He is good. I want you to zoom in for just a minute on the creation of man. Because we go through the creation story and we skipped a few days in there. But when you go through the creation story and every day is incredible of creation. But we get to day six. The unique things happen. God made man, the Bible says, in his own image. Nothing else was created that way. Man is made as a reflection of the likeness of God. Like a mirror would reflect who he is. Man was made to reflect his likeness, his glory. God even gave man dominion and authority over all the other created things like God. God, who has all authority, is now entrusting, stewarding some authority to his created man who is made in his image and with his likeness. And then God does something really crazy, really unique. On day six, he speaks to man. This has blown my mind this week. The creator 
who has spoken it all into creation, comes and speaks to man. I've been blown away. More on this in a moment. We'll get back to that. What I want us to see right now are some beautiful parallels from creation to redemption. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1? John chapter 1. John begins to tell the story of Jesus. And unlike his counterparts, Matthew and Luke and Mark, he doesn't begin telling the story of Jesus in Bethlehem. And he doesn't begin telling the story of Jesus with his baptism. He doesn't begin telling the story of Jesus in any way that any of us would have ever thought. You ever talk to somebody and say, um, hey, tell me your story. And you're thinking like, you know, tell me what happened last week. And they, they say, well, I was born in 1945. And um, my grandmother and my grand, and they start in like that. And you're like, ooh. I mean, I, I just came in here to get some bananas. I kind of kind of need to go. And they, they went way further back than you thought they were going. You weren't prepared for that, that deep of a conversation. Well, John starts like that. He wants us to pull in the grandiose nature of who is Jesus. Who is this Jesus? That's the story John's beginning to tell. He wants to tell us who Jesus is. And you know where he starts? John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. John does not begin with the manger scene in Bethlehem because he knows this was not Jesus's beginning. Jesus is called the word. Remember, when God speaks, it's power. Christ is the spoken and powerful word of God. The creative agent of Genesis is Jesus. In the New Testament, he puts on flesh, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He he tabernacled with his people. Jesus, throughout his New Testament life, displays the same kind of creative power that we see in the story of Genesis. In the boat with his disciples, a terrible storm is raging. Jesus is asleep. They wake him and Jesus does what? What does he do to the wind and the waves? He speaks. Peace. Be still. The storm ceases immediately. The disciples are afraid. And their question, you know what it is? What kind of man is this that even the wind and waves obey his voice? You know what they didn't know? The wind and the waves started with his voice. 
Jesus commanded a legion of demons to come out of a possessed man. With his words, he controls the demonic world. They must do what he says. Those demons said, don't cast us into the abyss. Permit us. Do you hear the word? Give us permission to go into those pigs. Maybe somebody there was like, I'm I'm not believing in this Jesus until until pigs fly. And Jesus is like, gotcha. (laughs) Pigs jumping off the cliff, right? But Jesus, with his words, commands all the spiritual darkness of the world. Speaking, it's done. At the tomb of one of his best friends. Four days dead. Jesus walks up to his grave and with his words speaks life over death. Lazarus, come out. And a dead man now fully alive comes walking out of the grave. What do we know about our Jesus? He's powerful. He's the word of God. The creative word, the redeeming word of God. Jesus is the word of God. He speaks life into death. He commands demons. He even speaks and his creation obeys. His word is power. It's the same power in Genesis 1 as in John 1. Because it's the same Jesus. What about his wisdom? God is wise, we said. All of creation was made with precision and order. What about the wisdom of Jesus? Well, think about Christ in the story of creation. What might the Redeemer be wanting to tell us through the story, the narrative of creation? What might He want to tell us about redemption through the narrative of creation? Have you ever wondered why six days? Why why did God take six days to create all the things? I mean, with his word, he could have just said, let it all be. And it all would have been. It's not that he didn't have the ability to do it all in a day. It's not that after day one, he was like, man, I'm beat. That word was really hard to say. No, no. This God could have done it in one fell swoop, but he chose to do it in six days. Now, why? Well, it's because creation is telling the story of redemption. Creation unfolds the way it does to tell us who God is. How good God is. And how he intends to save. In creation. The world was without form. Void, darkness. Before Christ, we are dead in our sins. Spiritually blind and walking in darkness. God spoke into the darkness. He said, let there be light. Christian salvation begins with the light of Christ penetrating our darkened hearts. I want you to see with me. I have scriptures all throughout, but I want to put one on the screen. Can we put 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 in particular on the screen? 
The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see what the writer of the New Testament here says? This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Do you see the connection he's making between creation and redemption? He's saying the same God who said, let there be light is speaking over your dead soul. Let there be light in the darkness. The same God is opening blind eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of creation and the light of salvation both separate from darkness. First John, we just studied through recently, said if you walk in the light, you will not walk in the darkness. There's a separation. The created life has seed in it. It's meant to reproduce. So it is with the spiritual life. Creation and salvation both climax in man being made and man being reborn into the image of his creator. Creation and salvation both call man into full and joyful submission to God. He made it all. He owns it all. In God's good creation, men were given work. Spoiler, guys, work was not part of the curse. (laughs) Hate to tell you. God gave us work to do. It's part of his good design. We should celebrate work. Be thankful for work. In the same way, we are saved. We are redeemed to do good works. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works. Ephesians 2.10. Creation is complete. Do you notice that in Genesis 2? When God had finished the work that he had done. That's a repeated refrain. And then it says he rested, right? Creation is complete. And then there's rest. Oh, look at redemption. Jesus' work is complete. And his invitation is come to me and I will give you what? Rest. The creation story is helping us to see what redemption is all about. In fact, the writer of 2 Corinthians again in chapter 5 verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. Why would he do that? Why would he use that word? Well, it's because he wants you to connect the dots. Just as God made it all, he's making you new. So not only is Jesus powerful and wise, but Jesus is good. Everywhere he went, he drew a crowd. Why? Well, anyone with any illness, any sickness, any disease could come to him and be healed. In the Gospels, I believe it's in Mark's Gospel, it says everyone who came to him was healed. The point there is he didn't turn anybody away and there was no sickness He couldn't heal. Jesus was good. 
He sat and had meals with some of the worst sinners the world had ever known and with some of the most pious, self-righteous people you could imagine. Because he wanted all kinds of sinners to be saved. And Jesus is good. Ultimately, Jesus shows his goodness by giving up his life, the truly righteous for the unrighteous. Although he was sinless, he endured the wrath of God against sin on the cross. In his death, he traded his life for your life. Jesus is the only truly good man. There is none good, no, not one, except Christ. Now, this moves us to the next big truth I want us to see. God rules over everything. And secondly, God rests from his work. Have you ever wondered why did God rest? We've already mentioned, certainly he's not tired. He's not exhausted. He's he's not sitting in really comfortable theater seats. (laughs) Like some of you. Yes, I see you. Yes. God didn't even break a sweat in creation, right? God spoke the world into existence. He's not tired. He's not exhausted. He's not overly comfortable. He's resting. Why? Well, Psalm 33, 9 affirms what we're saying here. I love this verse. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. That's powerful. He didn't need to rest. He doesn't have to rest. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 says, Our God does not faint or grow weary. So why did the Lord rest? Well, the Lord rested to enjoy the work he'd done. He takes pleasure in his work. At the end of each day, the Lord looked at creation. He was pleased with its goodness. It's not that when, when the Bible says he saw that it was good, it's not that the Lord was like, huh, man, that is really pretty good. It wasn't inspection. He's not inspecting his work. He's enjoying his work. This is the Lord going, I love this. Yes, this is, this is good. He's enjoying it. His creation reflects his character. The Lord rested To give us a day of rest. Now, when Moses gave God's law to the people, God established the Sabbath day of rest. As a law based based on the days of creation. When you read through the Exodus account of the giving of the Ten Commandments, it says you shall honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Then there's an explanation for the Lord worked six days. And rested on the seventh. The explanation there is, if God did it, we should do it. And God gives this command to his people. Now, Jesus is later going to talk about this. And he is going to claim, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What does he mean? It was Jesus who rested on day seven. And he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He goes on to say in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So he's telling us that he rested to give you a day of rest. You know what your response to that should be? 
Thank you, Lord. <laughs> right? I mean, good gracious. I mean, I'm thankful for a day off, right? I mean, really simple blessings from Jesus. Work for five, maybe six days if you got it rough. And then take a break. Rest. It's not that he needed it. It's that you need it. The Lord rested because his work was done. Now, this is the emphasis in the book of Genesis chapter 2. This is the emphasis. Look at it. The heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. Finished, done, finished, done, finished. This is the emphasis. Why did God rest? Because it is finished. Who does that remind you of? Jesus. From the cross. He's giving and offering a Sabbath rest, a spiritual rest to the world. And you know what he says? It is done. Rest. This is the gospel in the book of Genesis. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says that the law and the things of the law were but a shadow. But a shadow of a greater reality. And verse 12 says that Jesus was not a high priest like the other guys. He didn't work all day, all the time, all the time. He did his work and he sat down because he's done. It was finished. And Jesus finished his work and he says, now I give you rest. Come to me. Why the Sabbath rest? For you. Thirdly, God rules, God rests. And the third beautiful truth from Genesis today is God is relational. God is relational. One of the most beautiful realities in the opening chapters of the Bible is that God is relational. Not only does he pursue relationship with us, but before that, we actually see that God exists in relationship. When the Bible says in the beginning, God, that word God, there is the plural form Elohim. It's God in relationship. In Genesis 1.27, he's going to say, let us make man in our image. And there's just little hints. I wouldn't suggest that we build a whole doctrine of the Trinity on Genesis 1. However, it is there because God is there. And God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we see from Genesis 1, especially when we pull in John 1, that God the Father spoke. Jesus, the Word of God, worked to create. And where was the Holy Spirit? Hovering over the waters. The triune God is engaged in His creative work. He's there. He's in full, complete relationship with Himself. God is relational. Now, the reason this is important is because we dare not think that God made us because he was lonely. God did not lack. He didn't create you and me to feel some relational void. The triune God has eternally existed and he is complete in every way. His creation of man isn't to fill the void. It is to display the glory of his own nature. 
God in perfect relational harmony creates man to duplicate or replicate that kind of relationship. He is the God who now can be known. He loves and can be loved. He created us to spread his glory through his chosen people. Whom he will later call his bride. We are meant to be a gloriously redeemed family. I'm about out of time and I have way more sermons. So let me get this quickly. Can y'all hang with me just a few more minutes? Thank you for your patience and love and grace for me. Suppress the hunger for a few more minutes. So we love the passage in Genesis 1:27 that says, let us make man in our image. We, that one's well known. Um, but I want us to focus on the next two verses because I think they're glorious. Verses 28 and 29, day six of creation, God made man. And up to this point, he has created it and simply observed it from a distance. He didn't create the fish and the birds and then go talking to them. Hey, guys, how's it going? He didn't do that. But when God made man in his image, with his likeness, the creator initiates relationship. Do you see that? Not that he needed to. It just shows us how good he is. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them. That's new. When you read through the days of creation, you get to day six. And God blessed them. How gracious of God. And then God said to them. He said to them. The powerful, creative voice of God is now lowly and humbled and relational. He spoke to his creation. What does he say? (laughs) Be fruitful. Multiply. Essentially, right here, God is saying, hey, there are children in the room. You two naked people. Enjoy each other. Watch what I do. It's going to be awesome. What is God saying? He's saying, I exist in beautiful relationship. I'm creating you to exist in beautiful relationship. Enjoy the intimacy and see how awesome it is. Be fruitful. Multiply. Now, Genesis 2 gives more detail on how God gave Adam the perfect companion in Eve How he had named all the other animals. He saw her and he just broke out in song. This is bone of my bones. This is glorious, right? And all he could come up with, just by the way, you know, of all the things he could have named her. Whoa, man. Right? Whoa, man. The chapter two ends this way, that they were, listen, they were naked And unashamed. Listen to what that means. They were fully known. And fully loved. God's creation of man. Was meant to be beautiful. Man and woman meant to be beautiful. Like the relationship he exists in. And then what does God say to man? I love this. Verse 29. 
He says, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth. You shall have them for food. God says, look at all the food I gave you to eat. So essentially he says, man, look at your wife. Enjoy, enjoy this relationship. And look around. If you get hungry, just eat. It's all there. And guess what? There's seeds in the fruit. Like it's going to reproduce. This buffet will never end. Just eat all you want. It's glorious. This is wonderful. What do we see in the character of God here in his own creation? He takes pleasure in our pleasure. That floors some people, right? Because we like we think of God as this distant, harsh God who's a rule giver. And he's ready with that belt. You step out of line. That's not who we see here in Genesis one and two. We see a God who's like, this is awesome. Enjoy it. I love watching you love it. It's the goodness of God. Jesus said in Luke 12 about the father, Luke 12, 32, he says, fear not, little flock. And I love this phrase, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give. We see something of the character of God here in creation. He loves to give. It's his pleasure. He is relational. Aren't you thankful you have a God who loves you? He wants you to love life. He initiated relationship with Adam and Eve. He blessed them. He spoke to them in love. He gave them the gift of marriage and everything else they needed for life and joy in him. And in the same way, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in Jesus like this? He isn't just another teacher or prophet pointing us to God. He is the God to whom all the prophets point. Will you trust him today? Will you yield your life to him today? Will you stop working your way and trust in his work? And live in his rest. He created the heavens and the earth with just his words. And even now, the Bible says he's holding, upholding the universe by the word of his power. He has broken through the darkness of creation. And listen, he can break through the darkness of your heart. Will you yield your life to our creator, our redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray.